Hello everyone, hello. My name is CJ and this is my beautiful wife, Crystal. Uh, we have been asked to share a little bit of our story of um, what it is like to go through a tough situation. Hopefully one day we'll be able to share the whole story. But here is a little bit of what tough situations mean for your faith. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, about four or five years ago, my dad passed away. Um, yeah, we were really good friends and he was my mentor. I looked up to him. Um, we were very close and uh, the next day I had to take over the family business. And, you know, you start all guns blazing and two years later, you know, we lost the family business and your life just comes crashing down, you, you don't expect it. It comes with a whole lot of other issues that you never thought would come your way. Um, and the one thing that I lost in my life was confidence. I had that since the day I was born, I guess, and, and all of a sudden I found myself in a situation where I um, was doubting myself. And how did you find your confidence in God? <laughs> yeah. And eventually, one day, I, I sat down with Ollie and I just shared with him and I said, today is the first day that I realized that I cannot do this by myself. And it was by far the hardest day of my life. In that specific time where we were busy losing the business, um, I had a baby. She was born in September, I think. And for four months, we had a colic baby. I didn't sleep at all. I think I slept one hour a night. Physically, I was drained. We were busy building our house. So I couldn't rely on Quibus because he was going through the business stuff. He couldn't rely on me because I was going through so much. And that's, I think, the main place where we, we realize that we are put into this situation because we have to trust in God. We have to rely completely on Him and what His future is for us. And I feel that we've gone through everything um, so that we can... <clears throat> only rely on him. We had absolutely, literally no choice but to rely on him in that specific time. Um, and I think it's brought us so much closer. It's grown our faith so much. But specifically, you're not going to grow in your faith if you don't spend time with the Lord. So it's reading the Word, praying, fasting, and spending time with Him. Um, otherwise, you can't grow in Him. Then it's empty prayers. So I think for us, it has gone into a very deep relationship with God because of the perseverance we, we, we learned throughout um, the whole situation. We still have a very long way to go, <laughs> but um, we are very thankful for the real deep inner contentment, peace and joy we can feel um, by knowing that we can trust Him completely with our future. Yeah, I just want to encourage you guys, you know, we, a lot of the things we've been through, we, we really don't wish on our worst enemies. But at the end of the day, when you rely on God, you find yourself in a much better place than you were before. Yeah. You're closer as a family, you have a better understanding of, of the purpose God has for you, and um, you just find yourself in a much better situation. And then lastly, I just want to share get those few scriptures in the Bible that mean the world to you and just stand on them on the days that were the hardest. 
um, specifically Exodus 14, 14, where God says, I will fight for you. You need only to be still. I kept on reminding myself in the times where I felt I can't do this anymore. And then you would just feel peace after that as well. So just take those verses, learn them, and then uh, stick by them. All the best, guys. It was good chatting. Cheers. Good morning, One Hope and everybody else who's joining us. Man, it's so good to have you and I'm delighted to be uh, preaching again this morning. We just had a few weeks off and it was wonderful. Feel refreshed and restored. Thank you for those of you who pray for us diligently. Um, I love just starting the sermon this morning, watching Kurbis and Crystal's testimony of just how God comes through in some of the darkest moments of our life that we are going to experience. Scripture teaches us that we're not exempt from these things. We can expect them in our lives, but we can expect God to turn them for good. And I'm going to speak extensively about that next week. But this morning, I just felt to push pause on our, on our Psalm series. And we're going to go into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to spend the next two weeks preaching out of this, out of this text and one other one in Romans. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for every man, woman and child who this morning has signed in to be with us online. I want to, I want to thank you that as we sit in our lounges and our bed in our pajamas, Father, that we come to the sacred word of God spoken by God himself. These words are life to us. Thank you that we join thousands of years of people who have followed you. Christ followers and, and Abraham and all these greats that we read about in the Old Testament who took you at your word and who said, God, you have said and who based their lives and the way that they lived and the way that they, that, that they outworked their careers and everything. God, it all is, is guided by your word. And so we come to the certainty of that word this morning. In a, in a midst of a shaking in our world, we can come to a certain rock. Because this word is not just pages and words on a page. It leads us to God himself. It leads us to you, our good and safe place. We love you and worship you and ask you to submit our hearts and our arrogance to your word this morning. As we want to live our lives our way, would your word come and challenge us? Would it come and encourage us? Would it come and stir hope in our hearts that we would know that our lives are best spent for you, with you in your purposes? We ask these things in the name, the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. So I'm so excited to share this word with you. I feel it burning in my heart this morning. So I want to start off just by telling you a story. A story of men and women who began to follow Jesus around Jerusalem and Galilee at the time when he was on earth. And for three years they witnessed the most incredible things. They saw cripples being brought to Jesus and Jesus speaking to them or praying for them. And those cripples beginning to walk. They saw blind men crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopping and laying hands on that blind man and, and him receiving sight for the first time in his life, being able to see. They, they were with him. The disciples, the twelve, were with him on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. And these were hardened seafarers, but they were terrified as huge waves began to swamp the boat. And they saw Jesus stand up and speak to the waves and speak to the wind and command them to be still and for the sea to suddenly be completely still. 
They saw Jesus do all of these things and the confidence must have grown so profoundly in their heart. Now into the story, I want to press the factual idea that these Jews that were waiting for their Messiah, the King, these disciples, those who were following Jesus, that they, that they believed that when He came, He would overthrow an actual earthly government. And at that time, it was the Romans who were oppressing them, who were ruling it over them. And so these disciples in their heart began to think, man, we have an invincible King. Look at what He does to the wind and the waves. Look at what he does to those who come with illness and sickness. Look at what he does to the, even the powers of the, of the darkness, to the demoniac and others. And they must have thought, we have an invincible king. He's going to obliterate the Romans. They can do nothing to him. We think of Jesus with James, with James and John's mother coming to him and saying, Lord, when you're the king, won't you put one of my sons on your right and one of my sons on your left? And so Jesus begins to explain to them that this is not the way that he's come to bring the kingdom, but they don't quite get it. And then Jesus, the invincible one, the unconquerable one, is conquered by death, by the Roman foe that they are hoping he's going to overthrow. And they see him dead and they touch his dead body and they bury him in a tomb. And that must have been the most uncertain of uncertain times that you could ever imagine. Imagine the confusion. Imagine the doubts. Imagine the questions that were running through their mind on that weekend on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Their friend, but more than that, the king, the invincible king. And then Jesus rises from the dead on Easter Sunday, right? He rises from the dead. And I can see one of the disciples turning to one of the others and saying, you see, I told you, I always knew this was going to happen. I always knew there's always one of those guys that's doing that. You know, I always knew this is what was going to happen. But suddenly that hope is rekindled and their, their invincible king is invincible again. Their unconquerable king is unconquerable even by death himself. Now they don't just have the waves and the, and the blind... Now they have him even defeating death. So they go to Jesus again. In the beginning of Acts, they say to him, Lord, is this the time? You know, we thought we had it then, but oh, you know, we were just being silly back then. We didn't really understand, but now we get it. Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, guys, you're still missing it. You're still missing it. It's not for you to know the times when God is going to do these things. Like, don't, don't worry about that. Here's what I want you to worry about. I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to stay and I want you to wait there. Sound familiar, guys? I want you to go into your homes. I want you to stay there for two months and then you're still uncertain about what's going to happen. I want you to stay there because I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon you. I want you to wait there for the one that the Bible calls the promise of the Father. What a beautiful name for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when you're waiting, He's going to be poured out on you and you're going to receive power. And with that power, you're going to go and tell the whole world the story of what has happened in your lives as you've walked with me and what you've seen. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. And again, the disciples are left uncertain full of questions, unsure of what comes next. And they wait in that upper room. It says 120 of them began to pray and began to wait and wait 
in the midst of that uncertainty. And then the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. Did you know that today is Pentecost Sunday? That today is the day thousands of years later when this happened. When this happened. And our president Ramaphosa has called a day of prayer for our nation today. And I want to encourage you as families pray. And then come and join us 6.30 tonight. We made it early especially so that you can come with your children. And we can pray as a church joining our nation in prayer, you can join us on Zoom. The, the details are on our website. Easy to find. Come and pray with us 6.30 tonight. But the Holy Spirit fell and changed everything for those disciples. And then Peter got up, went outside. Because what had happened is that they had begun to speak in different tongues, languages of every kind. It mentions 17 explicit languages. And people began to hear them. And it was a great sign and wonder. And thousands of people gathered around the home where these 120 people had been. So Peter takes the opportunity to stand up and to preach. And the people, some of them were saying, these guys are drunk. And this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. You've got it wrong since it's only the third hour of the day. No, see, they're not drunk. That's not what's happening at all. This is what's happening, Peter says. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, a little bit of context, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, Joel is a prophet from the Old Testament who prophesied, which is told or foretold something in the future and said, there's a day coming and these things are going to happen on that day. It's not now, it's coming. And Peter is standing up and saying, that day that Joel said was coming, well, that's now, guys, that's now. And this is what happened. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote, in the last days, it shall be... God declares. Let me just stop there. The last days, you might not know what that means. That's the period from when Jesus came until Jesus comes back again. So the disciples were living in the last days, just as much as we are living in the last days, just as much as the generation will be living in the last days when Jesus returns, if that's not us. That's another conversation for another day. But just so you understand. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter's saying, this is what's happened, guys. No one's drunk. This is what's happened. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And so it's old and young and men and women and those who are the high of society and those who are the servants of society. In other words, the prophecy is saying indiscriminately the Spirit of God is going to be poured out on everyone. The rich, the poor, the men, the women. And Joel continues through Peter here, I will show wonders in the heavens above. And signs on the earth below. And we're like, woohoo, give us signs. Give us prophecy. Give us visions. Give us all of these things. Because we want blind people to see and crippled people to stand up and, and walk. But Peter continues through Joel and says, these are the signs. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned 
to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And we stop and we think, God, we want the signs. We want the wonders. We want the prophecy. We want the all-inclusive Holy Spirit being poured out in visions and dreams. But God, we're not so sure we want this apocalyptic piece of language here, which sounds like revelation and it's all scary and we don't have a, a neat little place to put that in our minds. And so we just gloss over it and we're like, oh, well, let's not worry about that. Let's just take all the good stuff and, and not worry too much about this terrifying stuff. But what Joel is saying, he carries on verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And where Joel said, it shall come to pass in the future, Peter is saying, it's now, it's now, now we're in the last days. This is what's just happened to us. This is why we're speaking in different languages, proclaiming the goodness of God. Men of Israel, Peter carries on, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We're going to come back next week and speak about that. How could it be that God had a plan and a purpose for Jesus to be given up and crucified? Plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be able to be held by it. The Holy Spirit fell and changed everything. And Peter, if I had to sum up this text in Acts chapter 2, Peter is saying when the Holy Spirit falls, Joel said, there's going to be awesome things. That are going to happen. And there's going to be terrifying and difficult to understand and hard to comprehend, confusing things. Blood, smoke, the moon turned to blood. And all these trials and terrible things are going to come upon the earth. But here's the part I really want you to get. Both of those things, the good things and the scary part that we like to gloss over, all of these things have one purpose and it shall come to pass because of those things. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is what I want you to get today, that this is the beating heart of God. His beating heart is not judgment and COVID-19. The purpose of God is not that that's a judgment upon the sinful world as some preachers are preaching. And as they, as they have always preached, when HIV comes, it's God's judgment on the homosexuals. Or it's this or it's that. And they're always wanting to speak for God, but they've missed the heart of God. God's heart is not at all to pour out judgment and wrath and and all the lows and the, all the other old words we could use to describe it like these guys like to use. Not at all. The beating heart of God is that men and women and children return to Him. That when they see the incredible signs of, of men and women prophesying and, and telling about the future. And the Spirit being poured out. That that would bring, him, bring them to Him. But also that when they go through difficult times and uncertain times. And their world is shaking all over the place. That those times also bring them back to Him. 
That's the beating heart of God. And to say it any other way is a misrepresentation of the word of God and the grace and the forgiveness that we see he extends to men and women. This is what I want to say through this text. God, his, one of his purposes, I'm sure, in COVID-19 is that it would cause men and women to listen with fresh ears. That it would cause us to take him seriously and to call on his name. To fall on our knees and call on his name. Now let me pause here because I know that this is a, a point that can really confuse people. Am I saying that God has planned and engineered and, and released COVID-19 on the world? Not at all. I want to be abundantly clear that I believe that this is 1,000% as the 1,012% as the rugby players like to say they gave on the pitch. This is the work of the devil. It's, it's all is absolutely clear as day. When you see death, when you see poverty, when you see suffering, when you see um, economies collapsing, when you see people in great distress, you can know that you know that you know that that is the work of the devil. John 10 verse 10 says the devil comes to rob and to steal and to destroy. And that's what he's doing. And it's obvious we can, we can see it. So I want to be abundantly clear. COVID-19 has the fingerprints of the devil all over it we can know it's him but there's another truth that we need to know along with that that even though it's the devil who's doing these things god has ultimate control even over the devil and is going to turn it for good i'm going to speak a whole lot more about that next week how God has purposed these things, these trials, not just COVID-19, but any of these apocalyptic things or these difficult things, these things that leave us lurching about in uncertainty for us, that we would ultimately call on his name because that is the best thing that could ever happen to us in our lives. Sometimes I pray a bold prayer when I'm praying for people who don't know Jesus and I pray and I pray with humility. I, I try not to pray this ever with arrogance in my heart. But I pray, Lord, would you do anything in that man or woman's life to bring them to you? Whatever it is that would bring them to you, do that thing. Whether they have to lose a business, whatever it is, do it so that they would come to you. Because I've seen through scripture and through my own heart leaping up in response to the spirit of God that nothing, nothing in this world is as precious as that and that's how we have to read the scripture you see luther speaks about the devil as god's devil he speaks about him as being under the control of god he speaks about him um, as as a dog on a lead that, that he can only go so far and he can do damage and he can bite and devour and do these things but god ultimately has him on a lead i love c.s lewis's quote there is no uncreated being except god god has no opposite Satan, the leader or dictators of devils, is the opposite, not of God, but of Michael, the archangel. So we grow up often comparing Jesus and the devil, like it's this big war, you know, the black dog, the white dog, and they're fighting, and one of them is going to win, and they're these equal 
powers. Not at all. God is up there, 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 there. And the devil is down there, 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 there with the angels. And so it's not at all this equal fight. No, the devil is equal with one of the angels. Jesus is so far above him that we never need fear that God's lost control or God has somehow given over the earth to the devil and he has no more dominion, that God has no more power to come and control any of these things. I want to spend the next few minutes applying this into our lives. What does this mean for us personally as we face uncertainty and and trial and all the things that are going on in our lives, not just in this scenario. I want to give us a theology for all of our lives, no matter what we're facing. I want to ask, what does this mean for us as a church? In February, I spoke about how God is calling One Hope this year. We, we feel as elders so clearly that God has called us to reach those who are far from Him and don't know Him. And we could, we're tempted to throw our hands up and say, God, but then COVID-19 happened. Then we couldn't gather as a church anymore. We must have misheard. And I want to say no. No, we know that we have heard from God and we're saying, Lord, this is uncertain. We said right at the beginning and it was impossible for us. But you told us to expect more and you told us not to do business as usual. Well, we are definitely not doing business as usual. We can't. And we are putting our faith in you. We want to expect more for you. Can I just quickly pause here for an advert break? This Thursday night, we're gathering as leaders um, in a time called Equip. It's for anybody in the church. You can find it on our website. Come and join us. We're going to be speaking about how God still wants us to expect more around reaching people, reaching those who are lost and far from Him right in the midst of lockdown. And we've invited Wally Gessmeyer, who you know, he was with us for some time, to come and share with us on Thursday night at 8 p.m., Go on our website and find out about that. But about the church and, and what, what about this uncertainty in the church? And then the third group is, is those who are, who are far from God or you are unsaved and you don't know Him. I want to speak to you and I want to say God is in control of this situation. No matter what's going on in your life, I'm so grateful that you decided to sign in for church today. I'm grateful that God has given us this opportunity because I'm pretty sure you might not have come through the doors of our church into our normal meeting. So you're so welcome and I'm so glad you're with us. But we're experiencing in all of these arenas, we're experiencing uncertainty like the disciples had. And this is my plea. We desperately, like the disciples, need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. We need Him to come and fill us again and again and again and again. Paul, are you contending for the second baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, I am. But I'm also contending for the third and the fourth and the fifth and the 200th and the 500th and the 1000th. That throughout our whole life, we are continually being filled up and pouring out to those around us the Holy Spirit. This might shock you, but I want to tell you that no preach will change you. I want to tell you that no church can fix you. I want to tell you that no worship song, no matter how many times you sing it, can fix you or set you free from the things that have, that have caused addiction in your life. I want to tell you something you already know, that no resolution that you make can keep you doing it for the rest of your life. We always have this bias away from God. We always drift. We start off with great resolutions, but we find ourselves unable to keep on going with these revelations. But 
for the power of the Holy Spirit. What we need is not better preaching. What we need is not songs that are going to set us free. Although I praise God for those things and they are wonderful. But what we need is the Holy Spirit to so come and fill those things. And so fill our lives that we are able to respond in a way that is overflowing and full of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to challenge you this morning. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the Spirit to flow in your life, even if you don't know Him? Something of what I'm speaking about, and I believe there's a reason why you joined us today. Something is awakening in your heart, and you're saying, man, I, I've tried it my way, like CJ was saying in the testimony. I've lost confidence in my way. I tried it, and it failed, and I don't have a business anymore. Or I'm, I'm, just, I'm with my family all day long, and I suddenly realize I'm a terrible parent, or a terrible husband, or a terrible wife. And we reach the end of ourselves and we realize that only the Holy Spirit can do this work in our hearts. And I want to ask you, are you hungry for Him? Are you thirsty for Him? Will you ask Him to fill you again and again and again? Because all the preaching in the world won't help us without Him. All the singing in the world won't help us. All the saying sorry and asking for forgiveness will never lead us to true purity without the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. All the Bible reading in the whole world will never make us lift up our hearts before God and say, it's yours. It's yours. My life is yours. My finance is yours. The purposes, my career, it's yours. My family, it's yours. Nothing but the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, living in us again and again, overflowing from our hearts can do that kind of work. As we sang in that hymn, Here's my heart, Lord. Take it, seal it, seal it for thy courts above. And when I sing those lyrics, I imagine lifting my heart before God and saying, God, I've tried. I've tried in my own strength and it doesn't work. I need you, God, to come and seal this for the work that you have. Seal it for thy courts above. Take my heart. Take it away from me. Seal it. The power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. Or we can keep pretending. We can keep being happy singing, come Holy Spirit fall upon us or any other song. And we can sing it 10,000 times till we blew in the face, but we never feel the presence of God coming into our midst. Our churches are as, are as dead as the world, maybe a little bit more sanctified, a little bit cleaner looking, but, but hardly any difference without a breath of God within a hundred kilometers of our own personal lives or of our church. We can, are we going to be happy with that, with barely a thread of evidence of the Spirit in our lives? We're still as carnal as ever. We're still as self-absorbed as ever. And I speak for myself, guys, I'm so carnal. I'm so full. Of all this nonsense of the world and in this lockdown period, I feel that God is coming and saying, wait, stay in your homes, stay in your homes. I want to do something different. I want to pour out my spirit on you. He's purposed that as Acts 2 says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And we have not seen that, church. If we are honest Christians, we have not seen that. Maybe you're someone who doesn't even follow Jesus. And one of the reasons you don't follow Him is because you look in on the church and you say, well, what do you have that I don't have? When your business tanks, you look just as stressed and just as fearful as I do. Your marriage looks just like my marriage does. Nothing about what you have looks powerful or attractive in any way because we have not lived lives, Christians, that are full of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and we're playing church and we're playing devotional lives and we're, we're playing in our own lives with this relationship with Jesus. Now I want you to hear me. I'm not condemning. I'm trying to encourage us and provoke us and challenge us and say, come on, let's get thirsty. Come on, let's be hungry for the Spirit to pour out on our lives because God is so gracious. He's so full of grace that God is determined for his purposes to prevail. He's so determined that he's going to give us signs of life and of prophecy that will break out in our church and around the world. And we'll say, I want that God. Or he'll give us trials and difficulty just like we're going through now. And the sun will be darkened and the moon will turn to blood. And this apocalyptic language to say, it's going to be terrifying and there's going to be trouble. And in those moments, God's so gracious. It's a gift to us because he's saying, I want you to change. Here it is. So back to the book of Acts and Joel says God is going to allow these things. History will be full of them. And if we look at Peter prophesying this on the day of Pentecost and us two odd thousand years later, it's true, right? The prophecy has come true. God's been doing this through all that time, but not without, not in a heartless way. He's saying, I want to drive people to their knees. I want to cause them to pray the kind of prayers that I want them to pray. And we are in one of those seasons. One hope. Christians, I want to challenge you. God has brought this winter, allowed this winter upon us because He wants to bring spring. He wants to bring newness of life in our lives. Are we going to just, uh, just cope and just get through it and carry on with life as normal? Or are we going to say, God, pour out your spirit on us that we can see this happening, that people will turn to you in our midst, in one hope. People will be saved because of the spirit bringing these truths to life in us. What is he doing in your life? He's revealing cracks. He's revealing that our prayer lives have been shot through. I had to put my hand up and repent of that myself. He's showing us sin and carnality in our lives and how easily satisfied we are with the things of this world that are suddenly shaking around us. And we find ourselves looking afresh to him and saying, God, the things I thought would keep me safe, they don't work. They don't keep me safe. What do I do now? And he's exposing these cracks in our hearts so that we would turn to the Holy Spirit. Just like it says, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we are saved, but we're crying out and saying, God, we want more of you. We should be thanking Him in prayer for this winter in our lives. Because as the leaves are falling off, and as death comes and branches are falling off certain things in our lives, God is preparing springtime where he wants to pour out his spirit and bring new life in our personal lives. One hope he wants to do this in our church. If we gather at the end of all this, 
in whatever, however many months that is, and we still look the same, and we just carry on doing the same old things, and many of those things are beautiful and good, but we've got to ask, Lord, what are you wanting to cut off on this season? What is it that doesn't please you? What is it that you want to bring new life? And then maybe you don't know Jesus, and I hope I haven't scared you this morning. I really want to encourage you and, and bring I want to bring a word of God is the God who is able to take every winter and bring spring. He's able to take no matter what happened in your life, no matter what regrets you have, no matter how you've hurt anybody or been hurt by anybody, no matter what sins you've committed, no matter how much you've blasphemed him or turned away from him, he is waiting for you to come home. I want to challenge you. Why don't you say, Holy Spirit, if you are real, now I know he's real, but I know you might not. You can pray this. Pray with honesty. and Say, if you are real, won't you come and draw my heart toward you? Won't you come and show me that you are God? There's a reason that you're here today. Something is already stirring in your heart. That's why you've joined us. And I want to encourage you, let God stir that thing. Don't be afraid. Ask big questions. He's not afraid of our questions. But God wants to jolt us out of our complacency Drop off dead leaves from our lives, making room for growth. I'm going to leave it there for today. Next week, we're going to speak about how God turns evil for good. How could he possibly take what's going on in this COVID season, in the coronavirus, how could he possibly use that for any good in the world? And we're going to carry on this conversation. But for now, let me pray for us as we close our Sunday. Father, I want to pray that this word would be so encouraging that we would long for your spirit, Lord, that this week that we'd be woken up in the night or in the middle of the day that we would find ourselves on our knees crying out over and over. If it takes years, we want you. We're tired of the form and the, and the frill of Christianity. God, we've seen something of our hearts and our church and, and it, we've seen it exposed in the light of all of this, that there's cracks and there's things that we are doing that do not please you, God. And we don't want the props anymore. We don't want the form anymore. We want you. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd give us the desire to desire you. We ask these things, Lord, of our lives. And then, Father, for those who do not know you, Father, as they cry out to you and in moments of honesty, not even knowing how to pray, maybe, but they say, I know something of you and I want to come back to you or I've never known you. Father, would you be gracious and rush into their lives and show them that you are real, not in some empirical evidence kind of way. We don't need that, God. We need to know deep in our hearts that you are who you say you are. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, not the power of intellect and reason. We need the Spirit at work in our hearts. Save them in the name of Jesus. Rescue them in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Join us again next week. We see you there.